How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, we're continuing in a sermon series that we started at the beginning of the year in February as we started this season uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, over the last several weeks, we have been in the Beatitudes. And there's a place where we come now where we're not quite sure where this passage fits. Is it part of the Beatitudes or is it an introduction to what is coming uh, after? And it's a little bit of both, actually. Interestingly enough, one of the things uh, that happens as you're preparing for sermons and thinking about passages and praying over it is uh, occasionally things will pop up that you weren't anticipating. And so about four weeks ago, Jane White, uh, one of uh, uh, the folks that uh, is part of Fremantle Church, uh, had a memory pop up on her Facebook page. Uh, And oftentimes those are uh, innocuous enough and you try and get rid of them or you maybe share them or nobody ever sees them but she shared this one because it was a haiku that she had written and the haiku was this beatitudes mean nothing until you become part of the poem beatitudes mean nothing until you become part of the poem now what we've recognized is that the beatitudes is jesus letting us know what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven that folks that are approved by God, uh, that are blessed by God, are those who are part of his kingdom, that they reveal the character and not just the character, the whole person of a citizen of the kingdom. And so she's right in saying that Beatitudes be nothing until you become part of the poem. Robert Mounts is a theologian and he wrote a commentary over the Beatitudes and he says this, If the Beatitudes leave the impression that life in the kingdom is somewhat passive, the metaphors of salt and light correct such a misunderstanding. Salt permeates and performs its vital function in society, and light illumines the darkness and points people to the one who is the source of all light and life. And so as we come to this place where we're saying we are salt and light, that we are a city on a hill, we come to this passage knowing that we are not passive participants in the kingdom of God. That when we see the Beatitudes and what a person who is a citizen of the kingdom looks like, that they're peacemakers, that they are merciful, that they are pure in heart, that they are persecuted, that they are poor in spirit, that they mourn, and that they are meek. That what we're seeing there is not passivity, that that's not something that is thrust upon us. But there is a sense that we are active participants. And Jesus makes it very clear here because he says, you are this. Not you can be this, not I want you to be this, not as a command. But he says very poignantly, you are salt. You are are light. 
when we're reading the Beatitudes, it's blessed are these people. And so we can kind of step back and go, that might not be me. But when we encounter this statement of Jesus, there's no way that we can pull back from it. If we, in fact, are wanting, desiring, and are citizens of the kingdom, then we are salt and light. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be salt? Well, salt is very much part of our daily life. It's part of our existence. It's something that we encounter. Most of us probably have spent some of our lives trying to get less salt in our diet, less salt in our life. But salt was very important to the folks that Jesus was talking to. Salt was something that caused things to be preserved. It's what came into uh, food in order to maintain it, to keep it from going rotten. And so salt was very important. But salt's more than that. Salt's also a seasoning. It's something that gives flavor. And as I was studying salt, Uh, thinking about it, I I came across some scientific journals that talked about what salt actually does. So one of the things that salt primarily does is it suppresses bitterness. So maybe you've had a grapefruit in your life and you've wanted to bring out the sweetness of that grapefruit. And so maybe you've sprinkled a little bit of salt or a rock melon and you've sprinkled a little bit of salt on it because it causes it to become sweeter. And we might think to ourselves, well, that's a strange thing, that it causes it to become sweeter. The reality is is what salt does is it suppresses the bitterness that is within that food. Now, Jesus knows that. And so when he says that we are the salt of the earth, there's a sense that he ties it to the world, and there's a recognition that the world is bitter that the world has hardships, that the world has things that are not right. He knows that the world is broken. It is not as it was intended to be. And so he says, you are the salt of the earth tied to this world. You are those who come in and season. You are those that preserve. You are those who suppress the bitterness that is in this world. That our actions should be those that suppress bitterness. Interestingly enough, it's not that it gets rid of the bitterness. <laughs> right? It's not that it overcomes the bitterness and it just removes it out. A lot of times when people are using aubergine or eggplant, they cut it up and they soak it in salt water. And there was a belief that that salt water pulls out all the bitterness that is in the eggplant. Now, farmers today don't actually grow eggplants that are that bitter anymore. They figured out a way to get rid of that themselves. But back in the day, you had to kind of soak it. And people thought that what it was doing was removing the bitterness out. The reality is the bitterness was still there. (laughs) It's just that the salt recognizes the bitterness and it overcomes it. I think oftentimes we as followers of Jesus, we want to remove the bitterness. (laughs) We want to take it away. We, We almost act as if it is not. That everything's good and great and that if you're a follower of Jesus, then life's going to be perfect. Man, we can't believe that anymore, can we? I mean, if there's anything that we could say today is that things have not gone the way that I'd planned. I don't like preaching. 
I mean, I love the people that I'm preaching to right now that are sitting right here, but I much prefer having others here. I I thought that we would be doing all sorts of different things at this point, gathering together. I thought I would be at Fairbridge this morning. So the first thing that salt has to do is recognize that it is bitter. We have to see the bitterness of the world and then we have to come in and acknowledging it, we're not coming in to cover it over. We're not coming in to remove it. We can't do that. But we can come in and suppress it. We can come and put God's flavoring, His seasoning, His preserving on top of the bitterness of the world and permeate into it allowing goodness to spring forth. We have to allow God to do that in our own hearts so that we can in turn then do it for others. So that when we experience the heartache of others, we don't just pass it off or try and get through it quickly, but we recognize it and we mourn with those who mourn, knowing that that will lead to dancing. Because if we don't mourn, then we just act like it doesn't exist. And that just leaves the bitterness being bitter and not being transformed, not being suppressed. So we're salt. And then we're light. Now, it's really interesting what Jesus does here because he says, you are the light of the world. And then he says, you are a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And so there's a sense that he says, look, there's this city now. For those of us who live today, uh, we see lights all over the place. Actually, Perth, oddly enough, is known as the city of lights. Because when one of the first um, uh, astronauts were going around the world trying to do the circumference around it, they, they were looking for for things in Perth uh, in 1968, they lit up all their lights, all their porch lights, so that everybody, so that the astronauts could see it as they kind of flew over in their orbit. That's what going around the world means, orbit. (laughs) And so they saw Perth. And actually the astronaut, who I can't remember his name for the life of me right now, said, hey, hey, um, tell them thanks in Perth for leaving the lights on for us. We think that way. The reality is, is at night, a city on the hill was seen because of the light that was there, but it wasn't like we see it. (laughs) It was faint and distant. But it was because it was a city that it was seen. Not because of the light. It was the gathering of the light that it was seen. It was the amount of light that it was seen because if it was just one guy with one oil lamp that wouldn't be seen as well but because it was the city because it was the gathering of people and so Jesus is saying you are singular you are the light of the world but then he says a city on a hill meaning that you are plural you guys are all light together and that's how you're seen and then he says that no one (laughs) No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but they put it on a stand so it can give light to all who see. Now, light shines, it illuminates, it, it 
if, it, if it's super focused, light actually even cuts like a laser. But light here means direction and it means fellowship and comfort. That it gives warmth to those who are in the house. That that light is there to draw people in. That it gives direction and movement. And so when we're called to be light, that means that we're called to be those who have direction. That we are showing people not the moral right way to live, however it is part of that. But it is that we are showing them what the love of Christ looks like. That a citizen of the kingdom of God, embodied by the Beatitudes, walks as light to show direction. Not individually, but as a group together. Man, that seems even hard to comprehend at this time. Because even though we're together electronically and even though we can have Zoom calls or Google Hangouts or all those other things, we don't feel like we're together. There's a sense of isolation that's taking place, that we're not part of a larger body. The reality is as we are, but it doesn't feel that way. And so to be reminded that we're light gives us the ability to know that we need to be providing warmth, providing fellowship, providing direction to everyone that we encounter. That we do that when we're in the shops by being gentle and kind and loving. That we do that in our households by being gentle and kind and loving. That we do that when we encounter those who might be at the doctor that we happen to be going to, to be kind and gentle and loving. That we are those who bring warmth to a cold, isolating world. That we know that we were made to be community, that we were made to be with each other. And so we work within the confines that we've been given at this time and place to make sure that community is happening. So perhaps that means that you're reaching out to people that you've not reached out to for a long time. Or somebody that you know even within our gathering that might be by themselves and so you're giving them a phone call or making sure that you're texting them. Because we know that we're called to bring warmth and fellowship. And not just that, but direction, right? That as a, a group, a, a, as a community, as those who are the body of Christ that are gathered together, that we're saying here is not the way to go or the right way to go, but here is Jesus and he is the way. Follow him. But why is that important for us? Because it tells us this. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We're not doing this to get praise or accolades. We're not doing this because it's the right thing to do. We're doing this so that folks will know God. The reason why we are salt, the reason why God has made us light is so that they will know Him and who He is. And his loving, steadfast pursuit of them. To bring them into whole relationship with himself. That we are those who are living our lives in a way that bring comfort, that bring warmth, that bring direction, and that suppress the bitterness of the world so that people will know who God is. 
That there's some way that in the midst of what is going on, that we're not those who are on the sidelines screaming and yelling or taking positions about whether it's true or not, whether this is the right way to do things or this is the right way to do things, but that we are those who are standing out looking different, saying, where can we bring comfort? Where can we bring joy? Where can we mourn with those who mourn? Where do we suppress the bitterness? That we are never about us versus them or against us, but we are always moving towards being for each other. Because in that way, people see our good works. Our good works that spring not from a place in desire to be seen as good, not from a desire to be approved by God, because he's already told us, blessed, you are approved. But in response to that approval. Why? Because in Christ, we have already been made salt and light. How great it is that we get to do that together. And we long and pray for the day when we get to do that together physically. (laughs) Let me pray for us. Father, you are good. And all you do is good. We give you glory and honor and praise today. We ask that you hold us so that we can trust you. Let us be salt and light to those that we encounter. Let us be the embodiment of the Beatitudes. Not in our own strength, but because you have made it possible. Holy Spirit, testify to us and help us know that that is who we are in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.